Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the current state of the enthusiast gaming keyboard market and our plans for the upcoming holiday shopping season. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McCain. The other day, I was talking with one of my industry contacts about keyboards, of all things. And it got me thinking that, you know, a lot of companies are making these mechanical keyboards, but they all follow the same straight, standard, quirky style that we've all grown up with. Well, we've talked a lot about that with mice and input devices, especially with the advent of Windows 8. But the reality is there isn't a lot of innovation in the keyboard space. And it seems that the innovation isn't, well, of course, it's not with the design because that's a straight, standard, QWERTY design. Right. They're adding things like macro programming. And extra keys. Extra keys and some LCD screens that talk via the USB bus. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't talk much about using the keyboard. You know, personally, I have been using a, a Microsoft Elite for years, ever since they've come out. And that's my go-to keyboard. I have that on my desktop. I have that at work. And I find that I can type on a straight keyboard and I can type really well on it, but I really prefer the natural ergonomic design. And of course, you know, people say that Microsoft ergonomic isn't really an ergonomic keyboard. It's just kind of a split design, but I like the the way that my hands rest while I'm typing. Well, now Microsoft has tried a lot of variations on that formula. I mean, they've got the curve and the wave and, you know, whatever variation of it happens on any given year but the original design hasn't changed really since i can remember i have one of the even before microsoft brought them out i had one that it was by some no-name brand i want to say that microsoft bought the design from them but it was a split raised keyboard design and it had an integrated touchpad and a couple of extra buttons and stuff like that. I think it was a 110 design or something like that. That was what got me started on the split design typing. And after that, I made it hard for me to go back to a straight standard keyboard. And I'm kind of a keyboard snob in that regard. Now, looking at some of these gaming keyboards that Thermaltake and Cooler Master and Gigabyte are releasing, they're all straight standard. And the only difference is they've added the cherry switches. In fact, I have quite a few of the gaming keyboards. Uh, Not unlike my mouse obsession, I've been looking for a good replacement for my big favorite, the old Logitech G15, for it seems like years. And that was one of the original ones that had the LCD screen on it, right? Yeah, one of the very first positions is a gaming keyboard, and I still think a very underutilized design. There's tremendous potential, I think, in having that extra screen and being able to program it as extra stats or, you know, any number of things in-game or in-software. And it just really is, I don't know, it just never took off. (laughs) I remember, speaking of that keyboard, I Mm -hmm. remember there was a mod for Quake 3 that would show your health and your bullets Mm -hmm. on that screen. Yes. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, but I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, I'm watching the screen as I'm playing, and I can kind of glance down at the bottom to see that. I'm not going to look at my keyboard, really, because that's where you memorize where your fingers need to be and some of the skill in gaming. It seemed like it was a neat little gimmick, but I didn't really think a lot of people would use it. Well, I think it's interesting to me, the most thing, and I liked the bullet count and stuff, but like you, it wasn't really more than a gimmick. But what I found I used it for most was TeamSpeak plugin. So I didn't have to have TeamSpeak running on my screen. 
And when people are talking, I could glance to see who they were if I was in a big chat room. Oh, wow. And it would flash who the active speakers were, which was kind of neat. And it also would help with my early overclocking efforts back when I didn't have a breakout screen and you didn't have, you know, rocking overclocking software. Because you could put your memory usage, memory speed, CPU usage, CPU speed down there. When you were doing your overclocking or tweaking, you could look down there to see what it was, and it was pretty accurate. Well, it's going to get it directly from the BIOS yeah. using the software. So, Great opportunity, and they still have, uh, what are they, on the G19 now, which looks really cool, but I haven't picked one up yet. Cause well, quite... it's at 180 bucks. Well, yeah, and quite frankly, my G15 is pretty worn out, but it still does the job. <laughs> I just put an OLED screen on that thing at that price and release an SDK and let the developers throw out apps. You know, they could make the screen a little bit bigger and you wouldn't need to have your monitor. <laughs> yeah, mini <laughs> games, come on. Yeah. You know, if you can play it on a cell phone, why not a keyboard? Okay, maybe that's too much. A little bit. <laughs> now, you mentioned that you have the G15 mm-hmm. and you've had it for years. Yes. Now, What's the main reason that you haven't upgraded to like one of the mechanical keyboards, like one of the, like the Cooler Master one you reviewed? Well, you know, thanks to my review hobby or job or career or lifestyle choice, depending on the day, um, I have actually a pretty good stack of some really amazing keyboards. Right now, I am using the Rocket Isku, and I like it, and it's been pretty good. But the truth be told is, I'm really still on it because I love the mouse. Yeah, and the mouse and the keyboard talk together so well, you can't really use one without the other. Well, not to its full extension, although I'm finding that I'm weaning myself off of those extra keyboard macros when I'm not playing RTS games to the point where I might end up shelving it. But you were talking about mechanicals. Now, I had a really amazing mechanical, the CM Storm Trigger, actually, yeah. that I picked up. And it is a phenomenal keyboard, although it's a little bit larger design. And it uses the cherry red switches. And how do you like the mechanical ones over the membrane? You know, because, for instance, the Microsoft Elite that I use, that's mm-hmm. a membrane keyboard. You know, aside from a couple of the review samples, I don't really type on a mechanical one. Well, I've mentioned this, I think, in reviews before, but it really is amazing how much louder a mechanical trigger is. And the cherry is one of the quieter ones. Yeah, the cherry red. They really have, I think, a really nice touch that's closer to a membrane. But I think the problem for me is just that I've grown used to a higher-end membrane, much like anybody else out there, like yourself. You get yourself really used to a keyboard, and you stick with it. And that kind of was the premise of my discussion with my industry insider. We have all these companies making these standard straight gaming keyboards. Uh-huh. There's not a lot of innovation in it, and there's no real design. And the big one is there's no ergonomic designs. I just can't believe that there isn't some sort of natural wave gaming thing. You'd think it would be huge. I would think so, too. And right now, you know, you can do a web search, and you see some of the old, old school ergonomic designs that came out with the IBM clicky style back in the day. <laughs> and then you see there's... Um, a company that made one that they redesigned where all the keys lay out so that it's equal on each hand and the thing costs like 300 bucks. And I'm like, oh my God, really? None of the big companies that are making keyboards are doing ergonomic design. That's true. In fact, the last keyboard I really got excited about was that crazy OLED one. The name escapes me, but that would let you program the specific keys. Oh yeah, you could reprogram everything on it. Yeah, I'll have to track that down and stick in the show notes because it 
really never seem to have happened. I don't even know if you can buy one. Where <laughs> is the mechanical version, the cherry switches, on your natural? And I asked them that question, and they said that it came down to cost. And I can understand that because there's a lot of tooling involved to mass produce anything. And if you mass produce a straight standard keyboard, you can reuse a lot of the tooling. That makes sense. Now, if you do it with an ergonomic design, you know, when the Microsoft Elite came out, there was three or four different designs that were really similar. And they said that they were ergos and some of them were split. Some of them were just mm-hmm. curved. And then you had different gradients for your fingers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of unique tooling. The manufacturer in China might not share those toolings, whereas I know that some of them do. That's why all these keyboards look the same. There's a lot of ramp up time to create that tooling and to create that ergonomic design and then, of course, mass produce it. And I can kind of understand that. With that being said, there's multiples of these straight gaming keyboards. Mm-hmm. Both of us know that the gamer, I should say the enthusiast gamer, is kind of you know the vocal minority of the group, just like enthusiast overclockers or enthusiast system builders. So who's buying all these keyboards at $300 a pop or $150 a pop, or even like, you know, the G19 we just looked at $180. You said yourself, it's like, well, I don't think I'm going to get that one. <laughs> not, not unless it goes on a fire sale, you know, and that's maybe the key point. We get used to a specific style of keyboard. Most of us take the one that came with the machine and immediately replace it. And then whatever you buy, you use it till it dies. <laughs> Yeah, just like a monitor or sometimes even a mouse. You know, that's the one item that, well, and power supplies. Yeah, you you have your input devices, you have the ones you like, and you keep them. Yeah, I find the only reason that I really look at new keyboards these days is because I'm intrigued by the size. Like, we're looking forward to the, the Quickfire TK, for example. Yeah, that's a mini version of a large keyboard. And I'm, I'm intrigued by the smaller setup because it will make more room on my desk, which gives me more mouse space, which is... Honestly, a premium on my desk, but that's not true with everyone. Gaming keyboards tend to be larger because of those macro keys. So size, I mean, that's a pretty meager upgrade decision. Well, that's true. You know, going back to the ergonomic design, the Microsoft naturals have always been larger because they're split and then they still have the 10 key and the arrow keys. So it's going to be larger than your standard straight keyboard or your, you know, the one that came with your OEM Dell or something like that. Right. The keyboard from Gigabyte, for instance, the last one that we reviewed that will be linked in the show notes, that one's on par with the Microsoft Elite in terms of size. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is those extra macro keys. And then, of course, the hidden button that changes the lights underneath the keyboard and stuff like that. Yeah, we like lights, but that's hard to justify spending money just for a, a lighted keyboard. That's true. The nice thing about the Gigabyte one was being able to record macros within the keyboard hardware. So you could take that to the Cyber Cafe, which is real big in the Asian countries. Uh And just take that keyboard and mouse with you, plug it in, and you have all of your macros set up so you can play StarCraft or whatever game you want to play. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget the competitive gamers at the semi-pro and pro level where you might go to a LAN party and use the stock machine, but you bring your own peripherals. So you take your macros with you. And again... That's still that one keyboard that you buy. So what are we going to do with the other millions that these other companies are making? That's true. And that may be why the price is higher, because they don't anticipate a lot of rebuys. I got to believe that if someone came to the table with, I don't know, a Cooler Master Storm or a Thermaltake gaming wave keyboard, that they would corner the market. It would sell. I believe so. That's my challenge. I want to see an ergonomic keyboard next year. 
The holiday buying season is almost upon us, and it kind of got me thinking about the cycle of hardware. Okay. I like to say that Computex is around the time that you get to see all the new hardware that's going to be available for the holiday season around Black Friday and Christmas right. and New Year's. And then you have the CES time, which comes up in January, and that's kind of when everything, the bottom falls out of the prices and everything just drops. But that's when you get to see tech in use. And of course, CES is a consumer electronics, so it's a little bit different than you know your standard motherboard and video card. But truth be told, all of the hardware kind of pitters out after the holidays because the buying season is over, and we need to clear the stocks so that they can start up again and start the cycle again around May and June. I've noticed that. In fact, I tell people that if you don't have to have it by Christmas, from a PC hardware standpoint, your best time to buy is usually about the beginning of March. And that's kind of when everybody gets their money back after the holidays because, let's face it, the holidays is a great time to buy. It is. And it's usually when the highest stocks are available. And the most promotionals, too. Well, that's true. And, you know, you get bundled deals on, hey, you buy this and you get this. Combined, that might be the same price as just buying them independently, but the fact that they're together... Mm -hmm. is the way to bundles go. and don't forget loss leaders i mean a lot of companies and best buy of course is one of the pioneers of this will offer a really amazing price on a really limited number of stuff so uh you can get in the door and they can rob you blind it's all about getting you in the door that's really what they're after that so. is true so speaking of what's on your holiday buying list for this year oh gosh you know it's been a good year for me really and i have been working on building my system, which we've talked about on a couple of podcasts. Well, I think you've built three versions of that system. And thanks to the Windows 8, which <laughs> I just picked up thanks to their incredible entry price, I've used it as an excuse to put together a new machine. And all that I'm missing is a 3770K. And what's keeping you from buying one of those? You know, I just can't believe that the price isn't going to drop. Well, yeah, it's hovering around 330 20. So the savvy customers can go out to sites like pricewatch.com. And we've talked about deal sites, I think, last year, actually. Yeah, that's around so this time. Worth checking out the podcast. Uh, but pricewatch.com, I can get one from a company that at least looks legit for about 316 But for me, the barrier of entry is $300. I'm just so confident that that process is going to drop below 300 before Christmas that I just am making myself wait. A little story about the 3770. When I was in Taiwan for Computex, I went to the local computer market and was able to get one for about $50 off of what you could buy it here in the States. So, mm. And a little birdie tells me that if you live near a micro center, you're already down under 300 So I've been really lucky in that my machine that I've been building, although it's still uh, running a, well... 2600K is not that old a processor. No, and if you have one, you don't really need to upgrade <laughs> it, let's be fair. No, which is why I'm not in a rush to get one. But my machine is pretty current. In fact, I just filled out kind of the rest of my wish list because I got myself a Blu-ray burner, yep. which I had been planning on getting for most of the year. So really, the only other thing I'm interested in is maybe moving to a three-monitor setup. And Do you I'm, have desk space for that? 
Well, I mean, it, we were just talking about how you don't have room for your keyboard. Yeah, but that's because of my shelf. But <laughs> truth be told is I think that I want to get a second video card before I get another monitor. I know that I don't really need one, but I've really been eyeballing adding a second ATI card to my system. And I've been watching the prices on my card drop too. Yeah, well, maybe I can kind of help you out in that arena because <laughs> like you, I've been wanting to build a system. You know, I... The way that I build systems is different than you, and we talked about this in a previous podcast. This is going to be like podcast reminiscence here. It is. End of year reminiscing, almost. (laughs) Not quite the end. Yeah. Well, a a month or so ago, I took my main system apart, which I'm using an old Antec SX series case. This is a case that I modded Mm -hmm. years ago. You can see the project on Ninja Lane, actually. And I just, those mods allowed me to keep putting more modern systems in there. Right now, I'm running a a 980X on a Gigabyte motherboard with a six, GTX 670. And that is my main system. And I've just kind of upgraded it here and there. You know, I just recently put the, the Halem in there two years ago, I think. And I just finally upgraded to the 980X because mm-hmm. I'm not using that processor on the test bench anymore. So I'm going to put it in my main system. I want to, you know, that system's no slouch, obviously. And I, but I'm thinking I want to upgrade to the 2011 platform. That's what you're saying. Now, I pulled that system apart. The plastic has gotten to the point where it's kind of dried out. And I think it was the automotive paint that I used on it just kind of dried the plastic out. So Mm -hmm. I went to pull the panels off to blow some dust out and the tabs fell off. Oh, no. So that case is kind of, it's done. I need to get myself into a new case. So Christmas says, time to pick a new case. Time to pick a new case and grab some stuff off the shelf and start putting myself back together a new system. I told myself that I was gonna, if I was going to build a new system, it's going to be water-cooled. You know, I've talked a lot about water cooling and the advantages of water cooling, right. but I've never really run one as my main system for any length of time of more than like a week or so. Water cooling is mostly for the test bench, and I can get some crazy water cooling setups. You know, I hook my phase chiller up to one <laughs> a couple of times. I've run multiples of blocks and, you know, just anything under the sun. Well, that market's really matured, too, so you can get some pretty impressive and really dependable parts. Well, we were just talking about pumps and reservoirs and, and the way those things have advanced. Yeah, you could get a, a, a dual 180-millimeter radiator now, which is unheard of from a long time ago. I mean, I have a triple fan 120 that I use on the test bench every once in a while, but I never thought that you could get a 180 millimeter version of the same thing. Absolutely cool. I mean, think of the square footage you got on that thing. I mean, it's, <laughs> you got a lot of surface area. Yep. And I might be able to finally get one of those to fit in a Raven case, which I've mentioned in the, in the review that, you know, you lift these fans up, you could drop a radiator in there. Maybe not 180 because <laughs> it wasn't available at the time, but now, hey, now you can. Nothing you wouldn't want to try if you had the opportunity, right? Yeah, something like that. I've been toying around with some water cooling parts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot available now. I saw some bay reses that have dual pumps integrated in them now. So you don't have to have a spot for your pump specifically and a spot for your reservoir. If you have two open bays in your case, drop it in there, call it good. Run some hoses to some specialized blocks. If you just have your CPU block, then you can run some hoses to that. For me, I'm thinking I'm going to run at least a water cooled video card, if not two. Right. You know, this is a 2011 system. So I have plenty of PCI Express bandwidth. And if I do that, then I'm going to need to maybe split the loops, have one for the GPU and one for the CPU. That's kind of where you get the even keel for cooling, 
and splitting them up among the, the heat sources. And, you know, it's just kind of a, it's an adventure, but it's also an, ex, an expensive adventure in terms of the cost for the mod. And that was really what kind of kept me in the system I was in because I can't really build a system while I'm modding it, if you know what I mean. Can't really use it, so I'm either right. down or I'm not down. I think that's going to be my Christmas project, though. Well, seems exciting. Yeah. Well, that's that's hardware. What about software? I know I am planning a build around playing with Windows 8 and kind of hoping that that works out. Software? Games? What's on your list? Oh, well... I'm going to take the Microsoft recommendation and stick with Windows 7 on my desktop. Okay. I will be getting Windows 8 for the test bench, so I will be using it. I did use the preview edition of Windows 8, so I got to check that out. And, you know, I have the Asus Slate, which is a nice tablet. It's not the Ivy Bridge version of the Surface, which is Mm -hmm. also on my list, ironically enough. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't mind getting one of those. Yeah, so, you know, I'll be able to play around with some Windows 8 stuff, which would be kind of cool. Games, I'm... I'm probably going to keep the same games that I have. The system build will be centered around getting the most from those games. Mm -hmm. So in a recent review, we talked about, or I talked about, how you can run like a GTX 650, which is, you know, NVIDIA's entry-level gaming card. But you can use that as a dedicated physics card. And then at that point, whatever you add for running like Borderlands 2, for instance, you can run that full frames, and then you have this small GPU that is going to be doing all the physics processing and get you the most from that particular game and any sort of game that's going to be running physics. I have to admit that I miss physics, although I'm pretty devoted to my 7970. I yeah, I can't believe that I haven't really tried the physics especially in Borderlands is I know that it would be kind of cool and I kind of miss it. Well, you might have to come over and look over my shoulder one of these times. Uh, yeah, or invest in maybe a lower end like the 650 tie and try some of those physics hacked drivers to see how that works out. You know, if that was an official sort of thing from NVIDIA, I'm sure they could sell a lot of cards, but mm-hmm. nobody's going to be buying a 680 to run as a physics processor. So Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where if you don't have one on the test bench, it's not worth your money, unfortunately. And I love ATI. But that is one of the things you have to give up when you get one. Well, speaking of ATI, one of my other little projects for Christmas is a little bit more overclocking. Turns out that AMD has released some new drivers for the 7970 that are really waking up the card under liquid nitrogen. Now, is that in a Windows 8 or is that Windows 7 or... Well, the drivers for Windows 8 and 7. Okay. On HardwareBot, for instance, a lot of guys are running... 7970 Lightning with these new drivers, and they are finally beating the GTX 680, you know, the classified from EVGA in terms of scores on 3D Mark 11 and 3D Mark Vantage. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I have some experience overclocking that card for MOA, which I did in the spring. Right. So I might get myself another one of those Lightning cards and kind of bench the entire hardware bot gambit with one card and with two cards and a liquid nitrogen, get myself some good points. Interesting. You may convince me to pick one up sooner than I thought. But I have to ask you another question. A lot of folks are saying, and myself included, that this is the year of the SSD. Those drives have finally got dependable. Most of the bugs are worked out, if not all of them, depending on what series you're looking at. And the prices are dropping like crazy. I mean, it's honestly amazing what you can get a good SSD drive for. And we talk about tiers in SSD a lot, but you can get 
maybe not the top tier drive, but pretty darn close for about a buck a gig, which is what we used to say was the entry level, the, the big barrier for hard drives back in the day. That's true. And I should admit that uh, I have myself two SSDs now. Yeah, and I've, I've really liked the SSDs. And I'm thinking I might be getting a couple more of those. And that will be one of my additions for my system that I'm going to build is that I want to use an SSD cache drive. Mm-hmm. One of my wants, I should say, for my main system is I want to have, believe it or not, I like the sound that hard drives make in a RAID. You know, by itself, they kind of sound a little uh, chunk, chunk, chunk. But when right. you get a whole bunch of them together, it just is amazing sound. I love it. I can back that up with an SSD as a cache drive, and I can increase some performance and still get the sound that I want to have. I think I find that really intriguing in general. I'm looking forward to seeing if the SSDs can really replace those high-speed physical drives like the Raptors um, in your Cortez bench. Maturity of the SSD has finally reached a point where it could be a dependable enthusiast overclocking solution. The SSD on a test bench has kind of a different life than it does in a main system. You know, for instance, we've heard about some of the Sandforce-based SSDs failing, and then if people were using this as their primary drive and didn't do proper backups, then they'd lose everything because with an SSD, it's kind of like breaking a stick of memory. It's just going to, you're not going to be able to get anything off there. Right. That's one of the nice things about having a rotational drive is that if it does die or the board goes bad, a lot of times you can get a board off of a, another drive, put that on there, and then sec- save your data. Well, with an SSD in your main system, it depends on how you use it and how you back it up. Now, on a test bench, I can see an SSD replacing one of my Raptor drives relatively easy. You know, after the end of two weeks when I'm done testing a a motherboard or video card, a lot of times that drive gets wiped and I start over for the next system. If it happens to die, just grab another one off the shelf and plug it back in. The real reason I don't use those is because of high base clock situations, where if I'm overclocking, the SSDs have a tendency to corrupt themselves Rotational drives don't have that problem. So I still use my Raptor drives a lot when I'm doing high base clock testing and stuff. So we were talking a lot about hardware, and we've talked a little bit about software previously with Borderlands 2, which is, of course, one of the hot seasonal games. But other games you're looking forward to? I know that Crisis 3 is floating around in different forms of beta. Well, beta or alpha, depending (laughs) on what site you look at. True. Crisis 3 is going to definitely be on my list of a game to buy. I'm a big Crisis fan. I, not necessarily because of the whole, hey, will it run Crisis? <laughs> but I find it to be a really fun and challenging game. It has kind of an RPG element to it, even though it's really just a standard first-person shooter on rails where you're running all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, the maps are a lot larger, so you can still free roam. You definitely have these doorways that you're supposed to go to and walk out of. Right. But you have more, more than one path to get around. Crisis 3, I believe, is still on the... Cry 3 engine, yeah, same as Crisis so. 2, but it's going to have more of the DirectX 11 support, so there should be more tessellation, more eye candy, if you will. Right, and they've really matured that engine too, so it'll be interesting to see what they can push with it. Now, of course, the story is the big th- reason for anyone to get a Crisis game. The original Crisis and Crisis Warhead had these amazing stories of what you were supposed to do, and what would seem to be you get to a certain point in the game, it would affect the outcome of the game. If you hadn't played it more than once, then it kind of mm-hmm. is a surprise. Well, with Crisis 2, things were more predictable. And I'm hoping that they change that in Crisis 3 to the point where it's back to the original story where 
you're kind of surprised as you're going along. We'll have to wait until either I get an alpha key or the game comes out. It'll be interesting to see if Crisis 3 continues that trend of, well, the will it run Crisis? Is it really going to push machines to the cutting edge again? The guys that are running Crisis have said that they don't want to make one version of the game for the for console and for PC. Yeah, so there's definitely going to be a PC one that's going to push PCs to the limit and then maybe a toned-down version for the consoles, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. With Crisis 2, they did release the DirectX 11 pack, which it did kind of wake up the game and really enhance the visuals. In terms of other games, I'm going to say probably going to keep with Skyrim. Yeah. I really like that one. It has a lot of replay value, and now that I found some of the rare items... I can increase my character to, you know, like a 100% alteration or whatever so that I can unlock what that item does, which I thought was kind of fun. Motivation. Well, motivation and also a bit of a time kill because... Well, there's downloadable content now out, one already and I think a second by Christmas if I recall. A lot of people were talking about how they would get to the edge of a map and they would see an archway and that would be like the way to Morrowind or the way to Oblivion, so... I'm kind of hoping that maybe, just maybe, they'll release a patch that will integrate the old games, maybe with the new (laughs) graphics, so that you can wander into Morrowind and actually have a whole new set of missions. And I'm going to try to sink some more time into Borderlands. Well, and downloadable content is already available for Borderlands, and it looks pretty fun. Well, that's true. And it's got a lot of replay value, which is Mm -hmm. also nice. Yeah, because I'm looking at purchasing the downloadable content for Skyrim, and in fact, that is more than likely going to be on my Christmas list. And then that will be what you do for Christmas. Uh-huh. And yeah, it'll give me a good opportunity to refresh it and get back into it myself, because I really love the game also, and have kind of put it away recently because I've been back into a PC gaming mode. And as you know, I play Skyrim and those games on my PlayStation 3. Oh, speaking of consoles... Wasn't there a new version of Skylanders released? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I'm a huge Skylanders fan, which we've talked about in the past, and quite a bit about the collectability and a little bit of the money pit aspect. But this month, they released Skylanders Giants, which fixed my biggest complaint with the original Skylanders. And that was that there was no difficulty setting. They they have added three levels of difficulty, um, out of the box, and if you beat the game on hard, it unlocks, gosh, it might even be called Nightmare Mode. That seems like... Um, it seems harsh for a kid's game. Yeah, and that, and I know that's what the uh, the Dungeon Defenders level's called, so I may be getting it confused, but I think that maybe is right. So you can go through at an even higher difficulty level. So I love playing with my kids and my wife, <laughs> and the difficulty level in the original is pretty easy. In fact, it makes the difficulty complaints about Borderlands 2 a little laughable. But the advantage is that you can roll through it at a leisurely pace with, in my case, my six-year-old daughter or my three-year-old son. And if they die, it's not a big deal. They just throw another character on there and we continue and I just kind of roll through it. It's very relaxing, a lot of fun to do with the family. But it's never challenging for me as a more serious gamer. And that's a good thing because you have to unwind every once in a while. But now I have the opportunity where I can play at that leisurely place with my family. And when I want a little bit more of a challenge, I can take my leveled up Skylanders. It's backwards compatible with the older characters, thank God, because I have a lot of them. (laughs) And play them on the new one. And you've got the Giants characters, which are kind of cool. You've got now characters that that light up, so they're 
got a little more excitement to actually putting the characters on the portal, which is something that go to your Toys R Us or your electronics boutique store and check it out. They're neat. So there you have it. We have a few games that we're going to play for Christmas, and we have some systems we're going to build. And hopefully we'll get to talk about this more after Black Friday. Ooh, Black Friday. And we'll see if any surprise hardware comes out in time for the holidays. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. To stay up to date on the latest at Ninja Lane, please subscribe to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2012. Thanks for listening.